Hello and welcome to the Ultra Working Podcast. I'm Sebastian Marshall here with Chris Natter. We're doing a science paper show and one of my favorite types of science paper shows where we look into something that everybody kind of sort of hears as important but has not actually read the research on. We got some. Should be a good one. Chris, we're doing a science paper show. Yes, we are. And the paper we're looking at today is called Writing About Personal Goals and Plans Regardless of Goal Type boosts academic performance and this was done by a group of uh, six researchers there's six people on this paper uh, divided between um, universities in the netherlands canada and the us and uh, one of the main researchers here is edwin a locker and he's been really one of the main figures in the field of goal setting theory I found a lot of papers that he uh, published. There are also quite a lot of papers um, by him mentioned in the introduction to this paper. And um, so the, the paper here looks at what happens when you run different cohorts of students through a goal-setting intervention where they have to think about and then write about their life and academic goals. And the takeaway is, in this specific cohort that had a large number of students, 700 students for each of the cohorts, the group that did this goal setting showed a 22% increase in their academic performance. And uh, this was actually unrelated to them specifically writing about their academic goals. So even if they just wrote about their life goals and what they wanted to achieve in a larger sense in their life, their academic rates um, increased or improved nonetheless. This this blew my mind twice, right? So first off, you know, good, healthy sample size. They had um, the two goal-setting cohorts, two control cohorts. So they ran yeah. 2,928 students through a total. There were roughly about 700 students in each cohort. Um, the thing was no joke. I think we'll get an experiment design. So they spent four to six hours on this. And, and somewhere in the paper, it said, just listing out your goals. Like, hey, I want to play guitar and be an awesome person. Doesn't do so much. But doing the intensive type of goal setting stuff that they did, 22%. So somebody spends one afternoon after lunch or whatever doing this. Doesn't have to be about academics. That's the part that I was like, whoa. Right. You could just say, hey, I want to be a musician. I want to be a poet. I want to have a family someday. Whatever that might be makes you 22 percent of a uh, have a 22 percent better academic performance. I think a reasonable inference, yeah. I guess, with us being irresponsible speculators here as opposed to proper scientists would be that people probably got lift in all sorts of areas of their life. People probably went to the gym more. If you got that 22 percent academic improvement, if you did something that had nothing to do with academia, it's very likely this had enhanced control well-being and, and goal achievement and life achievement, maybe across a lot of life. So this is really, really cool and really, really promising. I also like that it's a four to six hour thing. Whenever I see a a, a magnitude that big for something trivial, I get kind of skeptical, but I see a 22% mm -hmm. magnitude for four to six hours. It's like structured well. It's very sound. Yeah, this seems, this seems like it might be a big deal. It seems like there's some good stuff. So yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's dive in. I think let's give people lay of the land of, uh, you know, what the, the study looked like, what they were mm -hmm. doing. Yep. Um, and then we can, you know, get into our, our favorite part of things where we irresponsibly 
speculate with a lot of caveats as to what might be going on. But yeah, I thought this paper is just a gem. So I was, I was really, really happy to read this and yeah. Well, how, how did, how did this all come together? What'd they do? Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, very often when you have a paper like that, they will give you an introduction and it will sort of just give you a delay of the land in terms of the state of the, uh, science to this point. And I was just really, really impressed by just the sheer amount of data that shows that goal setting done correctly. There are specific things that you have to do. Uh, for example, just fantasizing about the future without actually thinking about how you will achieve that goal doesn't do anything. That's just a minor point. Hey, I was, I was, I was saying I don't like fantasizing. I was saying I don't like fantasizing recently. That that's my scientific intuition. I'm taking credit for that. That's me, the scientist. No, no, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we had that recently. Um, yeah, if you just fantasize about something, it doesn't do anything. You need to really set goals correctly, um, and they they explain what that means. But yeah, the goal setting done correctly has been shown to improve not only academic performance in various settings, but also uh, sports performance, um, uh, employee performance, so, so career performance. And, you know, if I go on Google and I type in like how to improve my like how to improve my life or anything very silly like that, I will probably come up with a list and goal setting will be on that list. But up until I started reading this paper, I'd never really seen that there was, that this wasn't just a throwaway comment that you would give, you know, without any backing to someone like, yeah, you should set goals. But no, there is actually a really a well-established field of research looking at this. And the main takeaway for me is, hey, this stuff actually works if done correctly. And there is a, there probably is going to be a takeaway for me in terms of how I and handling uh, goal setting going forward. Yeah, so the study took place in, in, in first-year university students. They um, split them up into, um, into two cohorts. So you had two different cohorts with each of them having a control cohort attached. So a group would, would partake in, in this goal-setting intervention where they would run them through a three-stage intervention. So this would consist, firstly, of these this four to six-hour, let's call it deep thinking about what you are trying um, to achieve in life. But then they would also, you know, bring them back um, and have them sort of, you know, take a picture. For example, was part of the thing. Like, you know, we, we often talk about maybe um, making something into a, a ritual or like a gesture. So I think they, they also try to give this event a bit of a, you know, you went through something and, and it had some meaning and there was like a final picture. So they, they saw this, um, this process or this, yeah, as a, as a finished thing where they, there was a clear final, like now this event is over step after you had taken your picture, sort of the, the event um, has finished. They analyzed the, so they, they came up with a number of hypotheses of what they thought would happen when students go through this workshop. The first one, their hypothesis was that, hey, if you take part in this goal-setting intervention, then you would end up with higher academic performance. The second hypothesis was, if you actually do a good job in, on this, on this goal-setting um, workshop, 
meaning if you go really deep and, and write a lot of words, the number of words written is the metric here, then this would also be correlated with a higher performance. Thirdly, quality and quantity of your goal strategies, this is called GAP, there's a very specific way to look at how well your goals are actually written and how clear your strategy is would also be associated with a higher performance. And they had a hypothesis that if you write specifically about academic performance, that you would perform better academically. This is hypothesis number four. And then um, if you actually like took this thing seriously versus less seriously, that this would also be correlated with better performance. So those were the five research questions that they asked. You can see like very often they're somewhat like they're very closely related. So they, you know, try to be very thorough in the way that they analyze this to make sure that they, you know, actually get some results that they can uh, work with. And yeah, then they set out to do these workshop interventions with these uh, students. And yeah, we can go over the results and uh, I can basically tell you what, um, what, the, what came out. And some of these things are like quite, I mean, getting a 22% boost is just, I mean, I would assume that these students ultimately maybe ended up, for example, taking their whole degree more seriously and studying more. So it's not necessarily that like the four to six hours spent led to the investment. The four to six hours spent probably led to the students actually then putting in the necessary time and, um, you know, putting their, their, their butts in the stools to actually study and maybe ask the right questions and all of that stuff. But there isn't much that, you, that I could think of that would get someone in four to six hours to have this level of drive and motivation all of a sudden to improve their, their results by 22%. If you think about it in terms of where does that end up for you specifically in terms of your final grade, where does that put you in, the, in terms of the um, quartile of scoring within your student cohort? And what might that mean for your income potential? Uh, I mean, just like if you, if you perform 22% better in your, in your degree in university, that can have a massive impact on your life. Yeah, I mean, the results relative to the time were kind of bananas, you know. I mean, depending on the, the rigor of one's, of one's course load and how much time you spend studying, refreshing the materials, doing projects, doing exams, these vary from person to person. I mean, we're talking about a very small amount of the fraction of the time that somebody will spend in, 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 in doing coursework and attending classes and such during the semester. I mean, it, it really kind of a bananas um, level of outcome and, and lift. And, and yeah, and when I look at it, the thing that, 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 made this kind of stand out to me is, you know, they used a bunch of different best practices. You know, they used a bunch of different best practices that we can, we can get into so people can adopt those. Um, but then I like how they, they broke down and kind of really took seriously as well. They, they assessed whether the students took the whole thing um, seriously and, and how seriously they took it. Right. So, you know, in, in terms of study design, you know, they went in and they said, okay, 
don't have this exact section in front of me of the paper right here, but it was something along the lines of if somebody didn't fill out a, a specific subsection around questions or prompts, that was scored either zero or one. And then if they wrote something like very hazy, like I want to play more sports, uh, they, they scored that like a level two uh, level of rigor on it and then so on, right? So they, they they scored, they had independent raters go in and score how thorough were people in terms of you know the goal attainment strategy, the specificity and thoroughness of those strategies, the number of obstacles anticipated. We'll talk about all this in a moment. And uh, and they found that the people that engaged with it more, that wrote more words and were more robust did better. Everybody did better. It was worthwhile. But the people that engaged with the exercise and took it more seriously then did better. Now, that might be confounded by the people that have richer imaginations or are more diligent or concentrate more, or don't hurry through things, do better. Could be, right? But I don't know. I, I, like, I think there's also like a bit of a common sense causality when you look at stuff like this and like, yeah, like really thinking through like, okay, Hey, I want to take up jogging. Oh, but what am I going to do if it snows? (laughs) You know what I mean? And like having thought through that means you're very likely to say, okay, Hey, I'll do like an indoor warm up thing, or I'll go to the indoor track at the campus or whatever. If it's snowing, then you do better on your goals. Not surprising. So yeah, I thought this was really nicely done. I thought it struck a nice balance of being like really thorough, but not too crazy. We can all kind of adopt pieces of this. Um, and yeah, let's, let's talk about exactly how they did this. And yeah, for me, it was, it was a bit of a trip actually reading this paper because it was like, you know, GST, goal setting theory with your GAP, your goal attainment plan. So I love how academia takes these um, you know, these things that are, are, are really in common parlance and, and, uh, you know, build some kind of sophisticated language around it. I, it always makes me chuckle. I obviously know why they why they do that. It, it has a certain level of precision. It means people are talking about the same thing. But yeah, let's let's talk about you know how people were GSTing and GAPing, goal attainment planning, and so on and so forth. What what actually went into these prompts? Yeah. So um, let me just to your last point. You know, just the um, yes, the the ones that went into more. Um, depth actually performed better but here the the overall um, improvements are pretty significant so they basically what they measured was the um, European credit points you know that you there is a credit score system for the um, for university you get a certain number of points for each of the classes that you accomplish like a really heavy math math class for example at my university was eight credit points that was like that absolute that was the thing that you had to study for for like two months um heads heads down and then a class that was probably easier to pass would maybe at the very lot bottom give you two credit uh, points so the mean score in the in the um in the control group was 32 point something so they they had uh, 32 credit uh, points at the uh, end of the first year and the control, the, um, the cohort that went through this uh, goal setting, um, you know, course or, or, or intervention had um, 38 and 40 respectively. So they went from 32 to 38 and 40. That's like passing a whole nother difficult class. That's like another math class that you wouldn't have passed otherwise, for example, in my specific example. If it gets you from like 
32 to 40. And I can really relate this to, you know, just the example of like, I knew that for eight credit points, I had to study at least a month fairly like determined and, and, and put a lot of time and effort in. And yeah, this is about the effect size here. And this is really, really uh, impressive. So um, yeah, let's, let's, let's look at um, uh, your, your, your question. They had these uh, students, um, as I said, this was a three-stage uh, process. In stage one, they had them do a goal formulation. Sit down, formulate your goals, um, and come up with a plan how to achieve these goals. How do you want to tackle them? Then they would have them go back and bring them in a little bit later, or I think this was done online, and um, do a analysis, a further analysis of their goals. This was done in a, a shorter um, time period. Like they didn't give them as, as much uh, time requirements to do this. And once that was done in stage three, um, they took the um, photo and had the students formulate a I will statement, sort of like a, like a commitment to actually following up or following through with the uh, goals that they had, um, had lined out. For the analysis, yeah, I think you already mentioned it in parts. They basically analyzed the goal attainment plans that the students had written. So they would look at the um, quality and the quantity for the students' top six goals in both goal-setting cohorts. So they would look at the number of goal attainment strategies that the students had come up. They would look at the specificity and thoroughness of those strategies. They would look at the number of goal obstacles the students anticipated. And they would look at the specificity and thoroughness of their plans to overcome those obstacles. And that is a this goal attainment plan basically then got a rating and that uh, led or was fed into their um, later statistical uh, regression. Then they also looked at, you know, words written. Um, also looked at the goal type. So did within the first like six goals, did the students mostly set um, academic goals, um, non-academic goals, or did they set, um, yeah, academic goals, non-academic and academic goals. And um Academic got a zero, non-academic got a one. And so they could have a good understanding of the students mostly or exclusively set academic goals or mostly or exclusively set non-academic goals. Yeah, that was basically all of the data that, that was used for the um, later analysis. And um, yeah, we can look at each of the results. So I, I had... At the beginning of this, when we started recording, I'd read out the hypothesis. So the first one was, hey, if you do it, if you partake in this course, you will perform better. And yes, that was absolutely shown. Um, I, I mentioned a huge difference in the, um, in the credit points that 
students got before and after or with and without this intervention. Secondly, yeah, if you did um, a good job and you went into a lot of detail, you did better. If you um, scored high on the goal attainment plan that I just outlined how they scored that, that was also correlated with a better performance. Then, yeah, super interesting um, that their fourth hypothesis was the only hypothesis that didn't pan out. So they they assumed that if you write about academic goals, you're also going to perform better in academic terms. And that kind of also like makes logical sense. I mean, if I'm planning, I'm making a goal specifically for the thing I want to improve at, I would have guessed as well that those students that make that kind of plan are also going to perform better specifically in academics. But that wasn't the case. Um, it actually didn't matter um, whether or not you were writing about academic goals, whether or not you would perform well in academic uh, terms. It was the, Peter, this is a direct quote from the paper, it was the act of writing about personal life goals, regardless of goal type, and then the spe specifying plans for attaining them that was related to academic performance. Yeah, so it's not that, so it's not that, like, okay, let me carve out study time on Thursdays and get my study group going. It was it was more just like this gave you – okay, we're in a, a little bit speculative territory here. This is getting a little outside the paper. It's like going through a deliberate process of clarifying what you're all about, setting some goals around that, then making some plans around that, looking at potential obstacles and whatnot – does what it like gives you like a it's it struck me there's two things that it strikes me that it might be doing one is it it gives you a rep in being analytical into thinking about things in a discipline rigorous way not in like a hazy way and second maybe it gives you like a feeling of more control over your life you know what i mean it's like oh like i'm on top of things i know what i'm about and how i'm doing it right and you know, I've heard this anecdote a lot from people that coach sports for kids and sometimes for someone who's an athlete um, when they were younger, which is like sometimes a kid will be having a bad time in school, not doing so good. And then they really get into American football, you know, they get into basketball, they get into boxing, they get in a sport. This is like a place where they could like be structured, be disciplined, train, show mastery, whatever. And like their academics get better and they like, getting into less arguments with their parents and all sorts of stuff. Do you think something like that's going on here? Cause I was, I, th this paper kind of was very eye opening on a few different levels. The fact that setting non-academic goals. And again, there's like, they did this twice, two different years, right? It was like 700 on each side. People that didn't do this, didn't do as good, right? In their academics, two years in a row. And the effects of this thing, they did it in September. And like the results of that year were like a year later, Right, like eleven months later in August, you know, uh, was when they finally got the, the scores or whatever. So this like wasn't like a one week boost. This was like a year long boost, maybe permanent boost. It was at least a year. Uh, I don't know. I found this surprising. What do we think is going on here? What is this doing? Yeah, I mean, this is really a good question. I'm I don't know exactly, but I could imagine, for example, that this is actually the first, the very first time, you know. Very often um, we, or I think I can say that about myself when I went to the university, I had like a rough idea. I knew what I wanted to study. 
and I had like a rough idea what I wanted to do with it later. Like it was like, you know, there was a very wide field of options available once you finish university. But I'm not sure I ever really, you know, got very detailed until later in, in terms of how would, do I actually want to apply this or what are, the, what are the cool things I can apply this to? Like really getting very detailed. I mean, every time I do monthly planning or any time I sit down, it's, it's amazing how much, how much stuff is revealed that, that wasn't clear before and, and how all of the different, um, you know, sort of the ship gets aligned, you know, and, and every, every difference, the whole team, like, I don't know, in so many different areas, you can, you can adjust your, your course um, so you you all are pointing or your whole ship is pointing in the right direction. Yeah, I think, or maybe I could imagine that for some of these students, for the first time, you mentioned control. Yeah, for the first time, they actually had a, felt like a direct, direct lever that they can pull to actually improve their grades. Like I can just do these steps in this order this many times a week and this will lead to this outcome at the end of the uh, the school year. One of my best semesters in um, that I had, I was following a. I don't know. It was there was a fairly random book uh, that I had picked up about studying and and study habits specifically, and um, yeah, very similar I think to this kind of um, intervention. The the book proposed to sort of lay out the plan for the year way in advance and then break down exactly how much time was required for each of the classes I wanted to pass um, to pass them and it was super it was quite interesting it was super easy I just noted down the number of minutes I spent for each class that was sort of the metric so I wrote down math Every day I was like, okay, math, 60 minutes, plus 60 minutes for this specific um, class. And then I just added up the numbers. And if the numbers, you know, with ECTS, which is the system that they're using, there is like a rule of thumb that for each credit point, you're supposed to invest 30 hours of time. Um, so if, if there is a class that is uh, eight credit points, then you should invest eight times four, number of eight times uh 30 number of hours. Now I realized that that is overkill. I could easily get what I needed by doing half of that. But now half was sort of the metric. And yeah, it, it, uh, it's interesting because first it reduces, it's very clear what I need to do now. Like it reduced what I need to do to a single metric that needs to get done, which is spend the right amount of time on this um, on the subject each each week or each um, yeah each, each week each month leading up to the exam and also reduces the pressure a little bit uh, in, in terms of I don't know it's like a, I don't know it's like a like a baseball hitter not focusing on actually hitting the ball but just focusing on getting enough swings in or something along those lines like made it fairly clear what needed to get done and i it took the 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 stress a bit away of like i just knew i had to I have to put the time in and that's going to lead to the result i'm looking for and 
once I approached it like that, I think that was one of the best semesters I, I ever had. Yeah, that's very cool. So I'm, I'm sure the listener out there will want to get nitty gritty. Now, the paper didn't get into great granular detail. And this is also like Dutch college students. So if you're like a Dutch college student, then I mean, I, I don't know, you maybe really want to pull the paper up, but otherwise you want to adapt it. I love the conclusion, by the way. I, I can't tell if they're swaggering or not because it just starts with, in terms of practical significance, personal goal setting intervention is a relatively straightforward way to improve first year university student performance. To me, you know, you said we debated, you, you suggested, hey, I want to rant, like, why don't universities do this? It's ridiculous. It's their own psychology departments coming up with this stuff. And then they don't actually like do this for every student. But okay, like, fair enough. We, we, we decided to go, I, I was like all in favor of going down that route and doing a rant, but you were like, no, nah, be kind of high minded and scientific. Okay, fair enough. But um, yeah, this is how they, they wrote the straightforward way. Reflect on one's best personal life. So you start with like, hey, like what kind of life do I want to live? Do I want to be playing guitar? Do I want to be planting trees? Do I want to be running? Do I want to be a scholar? Whatever. And then list salient goals. So without any sort of planning or achievement stuff, just like here's some stuff that I could do. I could go to the gym every single week. I could, you know, take the honors classes, whatever that might be. Strategize their attainment. So just uh, do some applied thinking as to like, okay, if I want to have a bench press at this, like, what could I do? If I want to, you know, pass a bunch of honors courses, what could I do? Right. And then reflect in writing about anticipated obstacles. I think that's probably a very powerful thing because, you know, very often, you know, when goals fail, Chris, it's often something predictable, right? So so we talk about this from time to time with counter planning and things like that. Mm. I think if you are very, very, very serious about hitting an athletic goal, it is like very negligent to not say, what are you going to do if you have a minor, minor injury or illness or setback? Right. So, you know, a couple of times I was at a pretty high level in athletic performance. And the thing that takes people off their game on that is like getting injured, not knowing how to deal with it. I remember one time I was putting some serious mileage up running and I got mild plantar fasciitis. And I'm just like, I'm a tough guy who's an idiot. I'm going to train through this. And then it got worse and I got hurt. Um, not, not the best. Right. But instead being like, OK, hey, if a plantar fasciitis kicks in, if I get a leg injury, if I get this or that, I'm going to what? swim, do yoga, switch off to strength training, take a week off, you know, and just thinking through the options. Cause like, look, people get really busy. Sometimes people get sick. Sometimes in sports, people get injured. Sometimes bad weather happens. Sometimes these things happen. You know what I mean? So you think through what are you going to do if one of those things happens, right? And then once you've done all that, you develop specific plans for overcoming those obstacles. So Again, here was the uh, the list from the researchers. Reflect on one's best possible life, list salient goals, strategize their attainment, reflect in writing about anticipated obstacles, then develop specific plans for overcoming those obstacles. Um, they tied that together at the end with a, a bit of a, a bit of a hoopla, take a photo, make a sentence. I'm going to be the best student that I can possibly be. Yay. You know, I'm, I'm giving it a hard time, but it sounds nice, actually. Right. I'm going to train real hard. I'm going to win this thing, whatever. Um and uh, yeah, that worked pretty well. 22%. 22% even if you weren't academical. That's the mind-blowing part is being rigorous, orderly about making any sort of plan in any sort of area has positive effects on your academics. And and again, they, they cohorted. They cohorted. There's 700 people that did this. There's 700 people that didn't. Right? The 700 people that did a group got the bonuses over and beyond the control group that did not. 
Um, so like you make a plan to be an ace skateboarder and it also makes you a better, uh, you know, student of organic chemistry. I mean, that's just mind blowing to me. Um, yeah, this is, this is a fun one. Any other takeaways? We'll link up the paper in the show notes. we got anything else for people? Well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, if you've heard it many times that you should be setting goals and you just haven't gotten around to it because there was no, you know, the, just like weren't sure if it was actually true. Like me, I was in the same camp. I'm like, yeah, setting goals seems like some, someone, something everybody recommends, but I've never actually seen that there is uh, scientific backing. Well, here it is. It's very crystal clear, actually. And it's uh, it seems like one of the most, like, there is rarely something that has this much bang for your buck in the field. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like one percentages. This is a 22. I mean, you know, to like kind of ballpark it for people, this is kind of like getting an extra week of stuff done every month for the next year by putting in four hours. Kind of. That's not quite right, but kind of. 22% for like a year. Like this is staggering. I'm kind of blown away. So I like my little one percent edges. You know, I know you like the two computer monitor setup and you're dialing exactly how many carbs you have by having a freaking continuous glucose monitor RFID needle stuck in your arm that you're scanning from time to time. Like you and me are into stuff like that. 22 uh, for like just sitting down and being like, what am I all about? What do I want to do? How am I going to do it? And what could get in the way? And how am I going to deal with it if something gets in the way? And then being like, I will do a lot of the stuff I want to do. I'm taking a photo. Yeah. Um, for the, uh, for, you know, listener, if you want to read up on this, you could uh, go to, uh, you know, Wikipedia and just look at goal setting. And there is, you'll, you'll find sort of the, you know, this doesn't link to, some obscure page about goal setting in general, but it will link to the research field of, of goal setting. There is a very specific term that, you know, goal setting theory is the, is the, is the name of the research field. We'll have all of these great studies, a lot done by, the, by one of the authors from this paper, actually, Mr. or Dr. Locke, I'm not sure um, what his first name here is. And um, here's an interesting something that I highlighted, making distant life goals, obtaining a degree, having a good career, improving a relationship, salient, as making distant life goals like that, salient, and describing them in concrete rather than abstract terms can offset the negative effects of poten potential temporal discounting or devaluing the future. That's, I think... Um, that's the closest to an explanation of how exactly this works. It will sort of bring like an abstract future state into a very concrete present state connected with like directly affecting us today. And um, yeah, really, really cool stuff. Love that people are. You know, I don't, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you. I might've never mentioned this to you. You know, I have a, I have a, I have a playlist. I have a music playlist called respect the future. Not, not kidding. None of the songs in there are called that. It's just kind of uh, like like uh, like we appreciate power. Grimes is we appreciate power. The AI thing is on there. You know, like I got stuff like that on there, right? So I got one called Respect the Future as a playlist. Yeah, most people are not. They're future devaluers. You need to be a future respecter, not a future devaluer. And it turns out it just takes about four hours to get you in that mindset. Um, that carries on for a long time. So yeah, people check out the paper if you want. We'll put it in the, the description of the show. 
if you want to check it out. Um, it's quite readable. There's like parts you could just skim. There's all kinds of tables of data. You could dive into them if you're into this sort of thing. If not, just a real plain English. Um, pretty big, pretty cool. So yeah, Chris, I think this is a gem of a paper. Uh, fun to explore together. 22%. That is a, that is something, huh? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So everybody, listener, respect the future. Check out the paper if you like. As always, thanks for listening to the Ultra Working Podcast. Be well.